Um, we are in a series called Carol Reflections. So I want to invite you into that today. And we're continuing that through Christmas. Just something a little bit different this year to take the, the carols that we're also familiar with and allow them to be a springboard to take us deeper into Scripture. So that's the goal for today. I want to bring before you a question that will allow both the Christmas carol and the text itself to sort of nuance for us. And the question is, is basically this. If Jesus is the arrival of peace on earth, then why is the world so lacking in peace? And if you say it's not, then you kind of have to do the math on that to work all of that out. Because there are parts of our own lives that feel out of order, out of sync. We're we're messed up in our thinking. That happens in my life. Or there's something even more difficult that we're navigating. And yet the Christmas carols that we sing, they kind of like call us back to the scene when Jesus arrived as peace on earth. And then, so how do we live in both the reality of that, but also the tension of it? And that's what the sermon is really focused around, sort of that question and that thought. And the music of Christmas, the soundtrack, if you will, doesn't always help us, right? There's these phrases like roasting chestnuts by an open fire, um, who chestnuts roasting by an open fire? Who has actually done that? Last service we had, okay, we had two. Last service we had one. There's always someone in the crowd like, yes, I actually roasted chestnuts on an open fire. But we sing that and it brings this cozy warmth to our hearts, to our souls. Oh yeah, roasting chestnuts on an open fire. I've actually never done that, but man, that's making me feel cozy right now. And the songs do this to us. There's a strange mix of feelings that arise. On the one hand, um, we know that we're supposed to celebrate the peace of Christmas in our families, in our, with our friends. But on the other, the reality of the season, if we're honest, is not peaceful. Uh, we're busy Some of us are miserable. I'm not naming any names or anything, but we struggle. And then if you take, say, suffering and loss, I mean, even yesterday, right here in this room, we we celebrated the life of a man that had departed from this earth to go on in his faith to his eternal uh, place. And... um, Suffering and loss, they have a way in these moments to, they get out their weaponry and they sharpen their swords and they just come at us. All that I know that some of you have lost, whether it be this year or in years past. And it it comes and it attacks us. And then we have these songs, oh, but Jesus is this peace let alone the fighting and the hatred that we see in, in our area, our world. There's a poverty, there's a brokenness, 
that just keeps on going, and yet we sing peace on earth. It's, it's a strange time of year. You can be at Starbucks, and you hear a song, and, and you're like, whoa, I just heard the gospel in Starbucks. But then as you process it, you're like, well, they were just singing about the infant birth. It's, but, you know, even in the carols that we sing, the ones that are, are based on the story of Scripture, they still get played in Starbucks periodically. I don't think they've scrubbed them completely. Um, but we hear the name of Jesus in Starbucks and this paradox, this irony feels really strange. Um, or you hear these words being sung on the radio, and they were surprised when, before their eyes, he came to life that day. There must have been some magic in that old silk hat they found. For when they placed it on his head, he began to dance around. Frosty. (laughs) Thank you, Gene Autry, for that one, Frosty the Snowman, one of my favorite Christmas cartoons of all time. But as we're reflecting on these carols, these carol reflections, today we're bringing, uh, no worries, we're not going to break down Frosty the Snowman. We're going to leave that one. We're going to move on. We're going to break down this hymn that we already sang, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. It's a little bit less familiar. Um, Thank you to the worship team for doing a rendition of that that I asked them to do, and and they did a great job. It was very inspiring. But the, the lyrics themselves take you into this question. And it's, it's helpful to know some of the background. Um, this carol is actually a poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, who was a, a, po- a poet from New England during the Civil War. And in his own life, he, something was happening in his, in his day. Um, he he married a second person. His first wife had passed away. He had this really great marriage with his second wife after his first one passed away. And for 18 years, they were married. And then she died in a fire. And then his son went off to the American Civil War. And then he wrote this poem on Christmas Day in 1863. And we have the words. We sang them today. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old, familiar carols play. So it's pretty cool. A hundred years ago, the Christmas carols were still old and familiar. And they were wild and sweet. I love that. They are so wild and they're so sweet. It's a contrast. And the words repeat. Of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And this is the refrain that carries through the poem. You can go to the next verse. And then, now he goes into his inner man. And he thought how, as the day had come amidst this war, the belfries of all Christendom, the bell towers, they keep rolling along. The unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And then the third verse. This third verse is amazing because as you sing it, you are pulled into singing something that you may not know how you feel about. And so you may refrain from singing because it's starting to take you into something. But this is his poem. He says, in despair, I bow my head 
There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Of course, the the song resolves, and we'll get to that. But how do we respond in our own lives to this apparent lack of peace when Jesus is peace and the fullness of peace? There's nothing lacking in him or in his presentation or in his gift that is lacking. It's the fullness of Christ that we have received. We have all the scriptures. We have all the stories. We have the complete story. And we even have other gifts that have been sent to us in the Spirit. And yet there's still this tension of a lack of peace. You can turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. It'll also be on the screen. So if you want to just listen and follow along. We're in Luke chapter 2. Since it was an obscure hymn, or carol, we, I'm selecting a bit of an obscure story. It comes a little bit later in the Christmas storyline, but it's, it's right there. So this is Luke chapter 2. And as I read it, we're really going to be asking this question from the perspective of the main character of the story as he encounters this piece. So Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, uh, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice, according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon is a character that we don't know much about. He shows up in this gospel, and then he disappears. But what we do know about him is pretty good. I mean, this guy was devout. He was faithful. 
So we're going to pull a few words from his life, and the first word is waiting, because he is presented as waiting for the consolation of Israel. It's a big phrase. And this waiting did not come upon him through his own inner computations. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. That's what it says. I was visiting um, over this scripture with a friend this past week, and, and he said, well, wait a minute. Didn't the Holy Spirit come in Acts chapter 2? Wasn't that later? Yes, <laughs> that is when the, the Holy Spirit came upon the church. Now, Luke happened to have also written Acts, so we might see a connection there. But here it is in Simeon's life, the Holy Spirit, those same words, upon him, and it is revealing to him who this Messiah is. But Simeon still had to wait. And that's one of the messages, is that even though this Holy Spirit had revealed to him, hey, you're not going to die until you see the Lord's Christ. Christ is anointed, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, the consolation of Israel. Consolation is comfort. Isaiah 40 says, comfort, comfort my people. And then it talks about how the shepherd will come and tend the flock of his people. Psalm 130, it says, well, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you, Lord, is forgiveness. Therefore, you will be feared. And then it says, watch out. Watch out for the Lord. He's going to return. Watch like a watchman in the night and wait for the Lord. He will return and redeem Israel of all their iniquities, all their sins. Oh, Israel, put your hope in Yahweh. Simeon, surprisingly, represents what all of the people of God that had this message should have been doing. They should have been posturing themselves to be ready. And is not the arrival of Jesus so confounding in our lives and in the the world around us. I was talking to someone earlier and they were working with their sister who is an atheist. And she feels like there's nothing that she can say to her. She described her heart like coal. And I thought, well, coal, that's, that's, that's fuel. And so we prayed for her heart to be fueled uh, and softened. But how are we postured in our waiting, in our anticipation? And it's not revealed to us by these computations. Okay, this, 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 now I got it, now I'm here. How did you get, how did you appear in this room before the Lord with the fullness of uh, of his truth? in your heart. Why are you seeking the Lord? Is that something you just did a math computation, X plus Y equals Z? Got it? I'm not suggesting that our faith does not compute. It does. But it doesn't compute like a math class computes. And so we have to have this waiting, which leads us to the next word, which is seeing. Simeon starts to see into what is happening. 
How did he know it was Jesus, the Messiah? It was a poor uh, husband and wife or newly married. There's even some complications there. <laughs> they may or may not be married. You know, it's, it's like the whole story is, is pretty dicey. And then they show up with two turtle doves, which was a provision of the law. Like if you can't bring a lamb, you can buy two turtle doves for pennies. They were like literally pennies. And so they show up with these two turtle doves, which is a provision. And they're, they're following the process. Jesus would have been around 40 days old. So just imagine a 40-day-old baby. You know, they're starting to get over the initial trauma of birth. Their color is a little different 40 days later. Um, they've, they're just starting to be more enjoyable. <laughs> I just, and they're still very challenging at that time. 40 days, you're still trying to figure out what is happening at night and all this. So this young mother and father, they show up with these two turtle doves. I read one author, and they said, well, maybe Simeon heard Jesus he heard Jesus' name from the parents because literally right before this, at Jesus' circumcision is when he was named by the parents. He received the name Jesus at his circumcision, which would have been a week, week or so after his birth. But here we are several weeks. And one of the writers said, well, maybe he heard the name Jesus and that's how he knew. I mean, maybe, but I think more than that, um, it was revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit. This was the Messiah. And we see this because there's no hesitation in the text from Simeon's life. He's devout. He's waiting. He's waiting for the consolation, the comfort of Israel. The Holy Spirit's upon him. The arrival of Jesus is the looming death for Simeon. And he says, oh, Lord, I can depart in peace. He has peace at his death because he's seen the arrival of the Messiah. And in this seeing, he's able to recognize who Jesus is. Um, And that's what I want to say to you, is having your eyes opened to see who Jesus is is an expression of your willingness, your ability, the gift that God has given you to posture yourself, to see who God is. And you might even be sitting there and and be thinking about that. How has God postured you to see him, to recognize him as the Messiah, the Lord's Christ, the, the anointed one? And I love how just Simeon has zero hesitation, and he he goes further into this third word he holds, holding. He takes up. He takes up the Christ, and he, he says to Mary, behold. I love the word behold, because it sort of combines the word seeing and the word holding, which is our next word. You can go to the next slide. There's this beholding is um, recognizing and then taking hold of. Think about your own life and how God has come to you. It was a process to recognize who Christ is through the scriptures, through the conversations, 
through the Holy Spirit working in your life, and then you take hold. You take hold of him in salvation. You realize, I can't do anything. I can't even do anything good, <laughs> let alone this perfect goodness is coming to me. Jesus, by his life, his perfect life, his death, his resurrection, the offering of salvation to the whole world, and we receive it as a free gift to salvation. And we receive it, we take hold of it. And then we follow after Christ. And, you know, I believe the, the initial belief is a total miraculous work of God that anyone of our eyes would be open to who he is. But then it says, take up your cross daily and follow after me. Live the life that I have lived. It's going to cost you everything. And this is the taking hold of. Simeon gets this brief chance. I mean, it's his final hour. So he takes hold of the Christ. The Apostle Paul, later on in chapter, uh, Philippians 3, toward the end of the letter, and Philippians may have been toward the end of Paul's life, he says, I have not yet attained this, but I take hold of Christ because he's taken hold of me, and I press on to make it my own. So even in someone like Paul, who is one of, the, one of the great examples of the faith, we see this tension of, yeah, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Lord, you have given me this gift of salvation. Now I'm going to take hold of it, and I'm going to live completely for you. And then we go to Starbucks, and we hear this Christmas carol, and we're just like, ah, I don't even know what to do. This is very difficult. And then the last word is speaking. This fourth word, speaking. Words. Blessing. Words of worship that are sung. Warning. Proclaiming. Speaking out. Defending what's to come and speaking into the heart of Mary. Are all of what we just saw Simeon do. One of my favorite phrases that he proclaims is, This is a light for the Gentiles. And for us, you know, sitting here, we're like, yeah, we know that. We got that. Most of us probably do not have Jewish heritage, which means it was talking about us. This light of a revelation to the the non-family of God at the time, This, this presentation of this gift is before all people's, If you can't track your heritage back to one of the 12 tribes of of Israel, this is about you. This is about um, everyone. And if you can, God bless you because the glory is also for Israel, his family that's going to be restored. Ephesians 2 talks about how the two will become one, and it's talking about the unity of the church, that we will be all brought together under Christ. But this speaking... He says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And he proclaims this. And again, I I feel like I need to say it again. I don't think we can understand what a powerful statement that is right now, right here. Many of us, at least, are so familiar that this story has come to us, that we have lost just the power 
of this message. The birth of Jesus is a light of revelation to the Gentiles, to all peoples. And then lastly, in, in, in uh, Simeon speaking, he speaks these praises, but he also pulls Mary aside. And this is where we, up to this point, I feel like we've been leaning more on the peace, like Jesus is this arrival of peace. He's going to make things uh, bright and light, enlightened, and he will explain what's happening. But yet he pulls Mary aside. And I mean, it ends, the story ends with this really, sh- these sharp words. Um, he talks about this sorrow that Mary is going to feel like a sword to her heart. Imagine uh, Mary for a second. She has this 40-day-old son, her first son. So the, the law says, okay, the first son that opens the womb, he belongs to the Lord. That was the other prophecy that was spoken of, or the the law. And by her being obedient, she's bringing him to the temple, saying, Lord, he is yours. This is a picture of dedication in Scripture. She's dedicating her child to the Lord amidst this wonder and this marvel that he is the Lord. And, And then Simeon pulls her aside and he says, these, these really uh, difficult words. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. He's going to be in opposition. He's going to be a stumbling block. No one's going to understand what he's saying. It's not going to make sense. Eventually, the world will crucify him and his own people, his own family people will crucify him. And there's a, in the Gospel of John toward the end, when Jesus is on the cross, he says directly to Mary, he says, Behold, your son. And he turns to the beloved disciple and he says, Behold, your mother. And there's this, he's caring for mother, uh, Mary as his mother in that moment, but I never have thought until this past week, just behold your son. I thought that she was saying like, Look over to who we think is John. <laughs> Look over to John. Behold your son. Look at your son. But really, I mean, if you... Obviously, I'm not a mother. <laughs> but if you are a mother, behold your son. It's... It, it, imagine the sorrow that cuts her heart. And then it says this amazing thing, that the hearts of many may be revealed the thoughts of the hearts of many may be revealed through this death. And this is why I love this story predominantly. It's because it, it holds out the peace, but it also speaks to that battle that's, that's forthcoming in the life of Jesus. So Jesus is peace on earth. That's the message. Jesus is peace on earth. So if anyone's telling you that he's not, he is. If you're starting to question, well, is he really peace on earth? Yes, he is. But still, a battle remains. And this is the, the, the other side of that feeling, which is, yeah, but I'm still pretty messed up, even myself. I have had a lot of struggles. And I have struggles in my family. I have struggles with my kids. 
I have struggles with my extended family. I have struggles with my friends, with my work. There's even a few people that I have real conflict with. I may not call them an enemy, but we don't have total peace between us. And that's just me. And I'm a pastor. (laughs) You know, so there's so many layers to this that get into, yes, Jesus is peace on earth, but still a battle remains. I want to close with these two um, verses that I think can shed a light on how we move forward. So you can go to that first one. There's two um, passages that I want to end with, Philippians chapter 4 and then Ephesians chapter 6. This first one speaks to the peace, the side of peace. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a recognition that the Lord is at hand. Things are not complete. There's still a lot to be fixed and figured out, and there's still a lot of brokenness, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. Don't be anxious. So peace is wholeness. Shalom means wholeness. Comfort, restoration, unity, brought together as one. And that's what wholeness and peace is. But the opposite of wholeness and peace is division. The word anxiety, it's, it's actually a play on words in the original language. This falling to pieces. This division. So when you feel anxious, you're falling, there's part of you that's falling to pieces. And yet, if there was a verse that was a math formula, it's right here. Don't be anxious. But in everything, prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, make your requests made known to the Lord. Then the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, comes to guard both your heart and your mind, your whole person. And then the the second um, passage, Ephesians 6. This is um, just a call to everyone. Finally. And and these words speak to the battle. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. That is the tension that is sometimes awkwardly attached to this feeling of peace. So peace is wholeness, and it interacts with the brokenness in the world. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he said, look, go into a town, give them your peace. If they don't receive your peace, take it back up again and go to the next town. 
find people of peace. This peace I'm giving you is something that, that I'm leaving with you. He, in John 14, it says, I, I, I don't give as the world gives, but my peace I leave with you. And in John 16, when he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the comforter, he's talking about his peace again. He says, you may have peace in me, but you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So he spoke into this for us, and he explains it for us. In fact, at one point, he says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Because his battle is against the principalities of darkness. And we get confused. We think one another is the enemy. We're supposed to love one another. The enemy is the enemy, which is the devil. And he's working hard to confuse us. And yet the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, the comforter, the advocate, guiding us into all truth, all light. So I want to invite you just to think about those four words again, um, waiting. What is God doing in your life right now that you need to process the concept of waiting in completeness or in something that still needs to be finished? And seeing, it's not always a computation. Have you, have you seen and recognized Christ and his peace and have you taken hold of it? Have you held, held him and grasped onto him for dear life? And then are you speaking about it? Are you speaking up? As we close, just a reminder that if you have Jesus in your heart, in your life, then you have everything you need. You have the full peace of God living out in you. If you don't have that, that means you are in total darkness. The good, every good and perfect gift is from above, so all the goodness that you experience is, is God coming at you, but it may not be uh, part of your life. And if you have a neighbor who does not confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior, then that means they're in darkness. They have this they may look okay, but the battle that they're fighting is a much darker battle in their heart. And so, are you speaking out about this peace of God that's in your heart? You can bow your head and we'll pray. It's the closing prayer, Lord, that we offer to you. Jesus, we know that from the prophet Isaiah, that as the Messiah, you are the Prince of Peace. And Holy Spirit, we know it's in your character uh, to bring comfort and consolation. Heavenly Father, give us such a life, each one of us, that we are comforted by your peace and empower us to bring your peace to uh, the peaceless corners of our own inner division, but also those around us, Lord. So many people need you right now. We just lift them up. If there's a name of someone that comes to your mind, just pray for them. Pray for the light to come to them. And... Um, Lord, we do just come before you this morning, just humbly asking for your help. And Lord, as we close with this old familiar hymn, Wild and Sweet, we just want to give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.